The wealth tech revolution is now. Wealthstack provides bolder technology strategies and powers a new generation of growth-oriented advisors. Join us in Florida, May 21st to the 24th, and get 20% off now with our discount code WEALTH20. That's WEALTH20, W-E-A-L-T-H-2-0. And be sure to search Wealthstack to find out more. Welcome to the Wellstack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rossick, the Director of Wellstack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by Brian Thorpe, founder and CEO of Wealthtender, aka the Yelp for Financial Advisors. We'll be taking an in-depth look at what the latest SEC modernized marketing rule means for advisors and how they can leverage online reviews to help grow their practice. Brian, thrilled to be chatting with you. The pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. Of course. And I do want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. And I understand you have 25 years experience in financial services, most recently as the head of uh, U.S. Key Accounts for Invesco. So walk me through why you decided to leave the corporate world to instead focus on launching a startup. Right. Absolutely. So jumped from the stability of a corporate job to the high risk world of startups and Really had a great career at Invesco. Lots of tremendous people was there for 22 years, but I always had this entrepreneurial desire. And I think that was especially fueled over the last several years where I've been an angel investor and working with a lot of entrepreneurs and ultimately had the idea for Wealth Tender and just felt like the time was right, really predicated on, upon a couple of catalysts. So one, societal change and two, regulatory change on the societal front consumers, advisors, both getting increasingly comfortable working online. And that trend was certainly accelerated by COVID. And then from a regulatory perspective, I've always believed that regulatory change creates opportunities for disruption. And we've seen that historically with a number of different investment products like ETFs emerging to really take on mutual funds or Department of Labor in 2006 that basically blessed target date funds as a default option in 401k plans. And now flash forward, we have this amazing opportunity for advisors to get started with online reviews and testimonials that have been prevalent in every other industry out there forever. And that's not only a benefit for consumers, but incredibly powerful, powerful for advisors. And so really excited to share more about that today with you as well. And I have to ask, because I know one of the hardest things with a startup is choosing a company name. How did you settle on Wealthtender? Really great question. So we were looking for something really original, and we've accomplished that. If you were to Google Wealth Tender, you'll certainly land on our website. Uh, of course, we didn't anticipate that Tender, the dating site spelled T-I-N-D-E-R, versus Wealth Tender, that's like a bartender, Wealth Tender, we're tending to your wealth, spelled T-E-N-D-E-R. But rest assured, if you spell it wrong, if you're more acclimated to the dating site, we, we have the domain that's spelled incorrectly with an I, so you'll still get routed to WealthTender.com as well. <laughs> That's a fun fact. I love that so much. Um, but way to think ahead as well, knowing that people might have fat fingers when they're typing. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> stumble across that. And so one more question before we dive into segment one, just to really set the stage for the conversation. Can you explain what exactly the SEC marketing rule is and how it's changed over the years? You know, we seem to really be the last industry to embrace online reviews and testimonials. And look, I know a lot has to do with compliance and rightfully so, you know, money is a sensitive subject. Absolutely. So it's really interesting and, you know, happy to say at our age, the, the rule really dates, uh, predates our, our existence on this planet. Uh, but really, you go back to 1961, JFK in the White House and the SEC marketing rule prior to it coming into effect just this last year, 
there were prohibitions that the SEC had in place to ensure that advisors couldn't build their business based upon promissory testimonials. You know, back in the day, a lot of the work that investment advisors were doing was very much centered around investment offerings, products, performance. And so the SEC just flat out said, testimonials are prohibited without any type of allowance for testimonials in any capacity. And in fact said, any testimonial is considered fraudulent, it's deceptive. And so of course, at the time, there was a good reason. There was fear of abuse, people promising outsized returns, cherry picking performance. So we know the SEC had good intentions, but flash forward 60 years, millions of consumers who are very happy with their advisors their voices have been unheard. And so unfortunately, I think this has had a negative effect on the industry. You know, we see these studies that say FAs are trusted as little as a, or as low as an auto mechanic, as an example. And, you know, nothing against a good auto mechanic, but that's just a perception that people have. And it's frustrating that advisors are cast in that same light. What people see on the news are stories like Madoff. They, they see all the bad news, but because advisors haven't been able to ask their clients for reviews, we haven't seen a proliferation of reviews online that really consist of millions of very happy people that are working with advisors. So I think that's going to be a tremendous opportunity as well. But fortunately here, the SEC realized a couple of years ago that it was time to do a 180. And that's really the uh, catalyst for the SEC marketing rule. They said, look, we know consumers are increasingly turning online, looking to read reviews, whether they're hiring a plumber or a doctor or a lawyer, and ideally an advisor. So let's come off that prohibition. Let's finally allow advisors the opportunity to ask their clients for reviews, to promote their business with reviews, of course, with appropriate guardrails, but ultimately finally giving consumers what they're looking for, which is an opportunity to understand the experience of what it's like to work with an advisor so they can feel more confident in reaching out to an advisor that they're thinking about working with. Well, I appreciate that context, and I know our listeners will too. So, Brian, let's get into it then. First segment, you know what's coming first, stats all, folks. So I want to throw out 84%. Uh, specifically, this was from an article from Inc.com, and they claim that 84% of people trust online reviews as much as friends. As you alluded to, there's clearly an opportunity for advisors here, right? Absolutely. So the statistic may sound shocking at first, but friends sometimes say what they think you want to hear. Strangers probably don't. And especially when it's multiple strangers, when they're saying the same thing, it becomes really powerful and reinforcing. So think about reading reviews about a hotel you're, you're looking to visit. And maybe there's a high star rating overall, but then you start diving into the individual reviews and you know you see one bad review and you think, oh, that person's a nut job. Then you see a second review that's similar and it's all of a sudden, okay, maybe there's a problem here. Maybe the overall rating is great, but recent reviews suggest renovations that are underway or a change in management are resulting in a poor experience. So now those reviews are starting to influence your behavior. And as we think about that from an advisor perspective, you know, even if it's a client that has referred a friend to an advisor, the number one thing you're going to do that I'm going to do that that friend is going to the, the, the friend is going to do is look on Google. They're going to look for that advisor and see what Google is telling that individual about the advisor. And so as reviews start to become more prevalent, what that consumer is going to see after the referral from a friend are the reviews from to them strangers, people that have had that experience with that particular advisor and now they can really start to say, okay, my friend has a pretty good head on their shoulders. 
and I believe what they're telling me, but trust and verify. So let me go and see what other people are saying as well. And that's going to result in a higher conversion rate of those referrals turning into clients and a number of other benefits that we'll be able to talk about here today too. And I saw another stat that 68% of people form an opinion after reading between one and six online reviews, as you were mentioning. I mean, I know I do, whether it's a restaurant, a hotel, like you mentioned, a doctor, you know, any of those kind of service uh, related providers. And I also did see as recently as this January, according to a bright local survey, 81% of consumers said online reviews are important or very important when making decisions about financial services. I mean, it makes sense to me as investors give advisors control over their hard-earned money, it's natural for them to need the assurance and social proof, essentially, that reviews and testimonials provide, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's important to consider here is we start to dive a little bit into more of the particulars as it pertains to regulations in our industry, is that unsolicited reviews have always been okay in our industry. So if, whether it was 10 years ago or two years ago, a client of an advisor on their own has taken the time to write a review on a site like Google. If a prospect sees that review on Google, that's great. But as an advisor, you can't tell prospects to go and look at your Google reviews. That's something you couldn't do before the marketing rule. And it's actually something you still can't do today under the marketing rule. So I think that's going to be something that's important for the listeners today and for advisors to acclimate to is again, unsolicited reviews on a site like Google are okay but you can't incorporate those into your marketing activities or even linking to them from your website without being at risk because those reviews don't include the disclosures that are necessary. When the SEC put out for, put forth this new rule, they said there are certain disclosures that need to be there um, indicating very clearly and adjacent to that review as to whether the review was written by a client or, or non-client, uh, whether or not the individual who wrote the review was compensated or not, and if there are any material conflicts of interest. And then there's a couple more disclosures if you're duly registered via FINRA, um, but it's all workable. And and so I think, again, the important things here are if an advisor proactively asks their clients to write a review on Google, it still could be a problem. There's still a little bit of regulatory gray area. It's addressed a little bit more explicitly by FINRA. Uh, It hasn't yet been by the SEC, but an area that advisors need to watch out for And that's really one of the reasons that we designed WealthTender to overcome those shortcomings. So the disclosures when a review is published on WealthTender have first been vetted by the advisor that can provide the appropriate disclosures based upon the nature of their relationship. And then fortunately, those reviews are indexed by Google in search engines like Bing, and that provides SEO benefits as well as the visibility benefits for advisors to still get that visibility on Google without having to worry about that regulatory risk. So let's talk about wealth tender specifically, not wealth tinder. That could be a whole separate business model. But explain to listeners, you know, what is it? Who benefits? How does it work? Give us that 30,000 foot view and some insights to what's on the roadmap. Sure. So wealth tender is a digital marketing platform. We're helping advisors attract their ideal clients online, primarily through our website, wealthtender.com, and helping people ultimately find advisors based on what's most important to them. So today we have thousands of people that are visiting our site and then through a partnership that we have with sites like MSN and other sites where our content is syndicated, hundreds of thousands of additional readers each month that are all looking to make more informed and educated hiring decisions. And that's what we're really looking to do is help people find an advisor 
but really do it differently than a number of other sites that are out there. So bear with me as I share an example, because we've seen so many other find an advisor sites that start by saying, hey, put in your zip code, we're going to find the three best advisors for you. And then all of a sudden their phone starts ringing after they've put in details about their investable assets and a number of other factors that are really intrusive. And then the consumer is trying to figure out, well, why am I getting these calls? So I think that gig is up. We, we don't think that consumers enjoy that experience. We increasingly hear advisors complaining that the consumers that they reach through services like those platforms are not expecting a call or not ready to hire an advisor. And then the advisor has kind of lost that money they've invested in the platform. And if we just think about other industries, I mean, imagine hiring a doctor that way. You enter your symptoms into a form, your phone immediately rings with three doctors all clamoring to see you. And it really raises questions. Why are they so eager to hunt me down? Why aren't they with a patient right now? If they need my business this badly, I don't think that's the doctor I want to see. So flash forward to the real world that we're actually living in. And again, I think as consumers, we want to make hiring decisions on our own terms. And that's why through WealthTender, we're helping people find an advisor based upon what's most important to them, uh, whether it's credentials. Many people start their search by looking exclusively for a CFP. Um, other specialties that that advisor is specializing in that are important to a consumer, or of course, location is still very important to many consumers as well. So on WealthTender, we have hundreds of articles covering these topics, featuring the advisors in our community, and then consumers have the opportunity to view advisor profiles and read the reviews written by their clients. Now, we have that reviews feature turned off by default because many advisors aren't yet able to get started with online reviews. But nonetheless, there's a lot of great benefits for the advisors that are coming onto the platform. They're getting that visibility and even more so if they are able to activate that reviews feature. So today we've got about 250 or approaching 250 advisors on WealthTender and a really low cost option for advisors to strengthen their, their digital marketing, uh, gain the SEO benefits that come with it. And what we're seeing for those advisors that are able to get started with online reviews they're receiving very positive reviews from their clients. Clients have a lot of great things to say. And I think it's finally an opportunity that the clients of advisors are excited to share. So that's been a lot of fun to see. And then the reviews are showing up in Google search results and helping advisors strengthen their SEO and their online reputation. And so there's just a lot of excitement that we're seeing amongst the advisors in our community and excited to see as we, as an industry, have more advisors with reviews the impact that that can have on the perception of advisors overall as well. So I want to dig in to this concept of SEO. And, and as you mentioned, online reviews can have a significant impact on it. And for those uh, that don't know what SEO is, it's search engine optimization. Brian, can you explain how this works in the context of our industry? Yeah, so it's really interesting in our industry because all content that appears on Google is vetted based on the quality of content, including what Google refers to as EAT, E-A-T, expertise, authoritativeness, and trust. And then advisors are actually held to an even higher standard that Google calls Y-M-Y-L, which stands for your money or your life. And what this means is any business or professional that is helping people with matters related to their money, their finances, their health, their life, we're all held to a higher standard. And so that means it's harder for your website to appear in search results. It's more difficult for you to rank at the top of search results if Google doesn't have clues and indications that you're trustworthy. And so from an SEO perspective, the ways that advisors can move higher in search results 
is to have credentials, uh, you know, having a CFP, having some form of professional credential can definitely be valuable. Or even if you don't have credentials, online reviews can be incredibly powerful. Those are sending positive trust signals to Google that can help advisors rank higher, as well as getting quoted in online media publications or elsewhere with links back to an advisor's website that can really help reinforce that, hey, other people clearly seem to like to hear what this advisor has to say. So let's use these as positive trust signals that can really help advisors rank higher in search results. And what are some of the most common misconceptions you hear from advisors about utilizing online reviews? It's obviously a relatively newer concept for our industry, so I'm sure there's been some hesitation in the adoption of it. Yeah, that's a great question. So with regard to the the misconceptions, I think um, the number one concern that advisors have is natural, which is that when they reach out to their clients, that their clients are going to be a little put off and that there's this likelihood that they're going to have a negative review. Again, it's totally natural, but the reality is if they're still with you as a client, they like you and they're really rooting for your success just as you're rooting for theirs. And so what we've seen to this point is all of the reviews that are coming in, really the lowest review we've seen from a solicited review from an advisor reaching out to their clients has been a four-star review from somebody that, that said, I would give Joe a five-star review, but I reserve five-star reviews for my granddaughter at her recitals, right? So the point is, it's really a little bit natural to expect, okay, it's uncomfortable to ask for a review. We think there are some very thoughtful ways that you can do it, and we provide some tools and resources to assist with that. But once advisors get over that hump, increasingly, we're hearing from advisors saying, man, I wish I had started this much sooner. Now, to be fair, the advisors who are starting today are so already far ahead of the curve because it's still such early days, but that's been really exciting to see as well. And what's your advice around how advisors can prepare their firm for the adoption of this new role? Sure, so on that front, all SEC registered firms had to be in compliance with the SEC rule as of November 4th of last year. Now, with that said, firms don't necessarily automatically have policies and procedures in place that govern how they will pursue testimonials, oversee testimonials, and ultimately promote their business with online reviews and testimonials. So that's something that firms need to do. And again, it's fortunately pretty straightforward. We provide a template, checklist, resources that advisors, advisory firms can use if they're interested. And then one other thing I would just note is the rule does pertain to SEC registered firms. There are absolutely implications for FINRA registered reps but then we have state registered advisors. And one of the things for state registered advisors to keep in mind is that at this point, it's still relatively fewer number of states that have synced up to the SEC marketing rule. So the majority of states, testimonials that are solicited by advisors are still prohibited. So it's a little bit frustrating. It creates an uneven playing field for advisors. I think it's also a bad experience for consumers when they're looking for an advisor in their local area and they're able to find reviews for an SEC registered advisor, but no reviews for a state registered advisor. They don't know the distinction between that regulatory construct. And we're really working as an advocate along with others in the industry to help state regulators understand the reason the SEC put forth this rule was to operate in the best interest of consumers that are trying to make a more informed and educated hiring decision. Yes, it benefits advisors to be able to get started with online reviews, but let's get rid of that prohibition so that the residents and those particular states can have that even playing field to truly evaluate advisors in a manner that's fair to all involved. 
And that's a really helpful distinction. So thank you for that. So before we move on to our next segment, any final words of, of wisdom? And do you think there are really any ramifications to not pursuing or utilizing online reviews? Sure. I think advisors that are actively looking to attract new clients are definitely missing out if they're not using reviews. Even if your clients predominantly come from referrals, if a consumer receives the name of three advisors and then Googles those advisors, it's going to be the advisor with reviews that will always win. But even for advisors who aren't accepting new clients, there's a real benefit there too. So current clients may periodically Google and see five-star reviews for other advisors, but then they don't see reviews for the advisor that they're working with today. And so that could have a bit of a potential risk if they're thinking about, maybe I want to leave and, and consider working elsewhere. But if they see five-star reviews that are reinforcing all the reasons why they should stay with that advisor, it could be really beneficial. And then something else to think about, if an advisor is preparing their business for sale, or thinking about maybe rolling up into an RIA aggregator, as an example, having those five-star reviews tells that buyer, tells the firm that's looking at doing that acquisition, there's really value here and might even allow the firm owner to ask for a higher premium for the business. Well, it's time now for segment two of this episode. I'm going to be putting you in the hot seat, Brian, for Ask Us Anything. We've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions that they want answered by you. So let's take a peek at who slid into the DMs this week. <laughs> so first question we actually got, which really interesting, timely, and even I'm not quite sure of the impact of this, but I want your expertise on, do you think technology like chat GPT will have an impact on online reviews and the SEC marketing rule? Sure. So I think taking it one step back, you know, 15 years ago, we saw robo-advisors come into the fold and a lot of people said, oh, robo-advisors are going to kill off human financial advice. And ultimately what came out of it is a lot of cool technology, much of which is largely used by human advisors today. So now we've got ChatGPT. It's definitely the next disruptor. We've got people saying that's going to kill off human financial advice. So I think as an industry, we're going to come to view it as a tool and not a threat. Still a lot of unknowns as to how that will play out. But directly to your question, how it pertains to the marketing rule and online reviews, I suppose somebody could ask ChatGPT to write a five-star review about an advisor for them. And I think it would make a fun read just to see what that might look like. And probably some advisors are doing that right now as they're listening to this just to see what it says. Um, but likely we're going to also see that that chat GPT review is going to lack the humanity that we see come through in most reviews on WealthTender. And again, for the very reason that robo-advisors haven't displaced human financial advice, it would be hard to displace what you read in the reviews about the experience that a client of an advisor is sharing within those reviews and how an advisor makes them feel. Great perspective. Um, another question we had was, how do you counter the argument of, yeah, well, you know, all my business comes from referrals. I don't need online reviews to help my business. Great question. But if they listen to this podcast, hopefully they've changed their mind. <laughs> and you know what? If they haven't, then they're missing out on turning a higher percentage of the referrals into clients. And we'll just uh, save those referrals for the other, other advisors that are listening today. <laughs> Love it. Um, and last question for this segment. Obviously, negative reviews can be detrimental to a business, as we discussed. And while they may be unavoidable because reviews are subjective at the end of the day, is there a way to spin those into a positive opportunity? Essentially, can bad reviews be good? 
Sure. Another great question. And again, one of the largest hesitations of advisors worried about getting started with reviews. But the fact is, if you look across other industries, it's really proven out that some bad reviews are okay. And in fact, studies have shown that people sometimes are skeptical if they're only seeing five-star reviews. And of course, it all comes down to what is the context for a review that's not five or four stars? What, what's the experience that's conveyed? If somebody puts a one-star review out there and there's no content to it whatsoever, people are going to dismiss that. But if there's a story associated with a one or a two-star review, people are going to look into that and want to understand, okay, is this, using my uh, term earlier, is this a nut job or is this something that I should really be worried about? Or is it something that I should ask that advisor about when I meet with them? Now, advisors also have the opportunity to essentially respond to the review to provide their side of the, the story. But in many instances, it's likely there was just a particular situation that somebody had a, a bad instance, a bad experience, but when people that are reading collectively all of the reviews from an advisor see predominantly four and five-star reviews, and quite likely uh, five-star reviews, they're going to feel much more confident, realize that that's a one-off. And of course, if the situation is such that that individual that left a negative review, the situation has been remedied by the advisor, the uh, review could actually be rewritten, it could be deleted, the person that wrote that review always owns that content. They own that review. And so if through a conversation with the advisor, they feel a little bad that that one-star review is out there, um, that review can be edited, updated, and you know whether it's changed to a five-star review or otherwise. So uh, a few things to consider from a compliance perspective around that, but nonetheless, it absolutely is something that could be done. Uh, and I, I think, again, a negative review doesn't necessarily have to mean a, a bad uh, experience for an advisor. And this is a question I actually have, um, and I'm hoping you can clarify in that similar vein. Are advisors actually able to respond to reviews, whether they are positive or negative? I know you often see that when you're when you're looking at reviews, as we sure. mentioned, whether it's a doctor, another business, and obviously, and a lot of times you'll see the business chime in and say, "Sorry, you had a poor experience. We're following up with you directly to to remedy this." Are advisors able to do that as well under this rule? Sure. Again, great question. Need to be very careful if it is an unsolicited review that's come into a platform not designed for compliance with the SEC rule. Whether it's a good review, a bad review, you shouldn't touch it. The moment you touch it, respond to it, acknowledge it, tell anybody to go and look at it, you've entangled yourself or you've adopted that review in, in the vernacular that the SEC uses within the marketing rule, and then you're in trouble. That said, if a review comes into a platform that has the ability to respond or provide disclosure updates that essentially are a response to the review, you can absolutely do that. And in fact, it's definitely perceived as good business practice to do so. Of course, highly recommend speaking with your compliance officer before doing just that, but it's definitely something that people can do as long as the platform is designed for compliance with the SEC rule to accommodate all of the appropriate disclosures. Well, Brian, I appreciate you being put on the spot and being put in the hot seat and for your insightful answers, but we've come to our final and my favorite uh, segment, Stack It or Whack It, where I'm going to throw out a few technologies, not necessarily well tech related, and you tell me if it's worth the hype or not. And I know you're originally a Texas guy, but now that I've gotten to know you and you're a nice guy, I was going to you know, throw some shade at Texas and ask about the Texas power grid, <laughs> but that might be a little harsh <laughs> at this point. Um, 
but, and I, I know you, obviously you, you've recently moved to California as well. And I, I think you said you just experienced your first earthquake. So maybe we start there. <laughs> right. So first earthquake, an experience that I've always wanted to put on my bucket list. I, I've now got that, uh, that's, that box has been checked. And uh, if it's stack it or whack it, that's definitely a whack it. One and done. Two o'clock in the morning, getting jolted out of bed, not sure what was going on. And of course, now not sure when the next one comes. I'll pass. Whack it. Oh, gosh. Yes, I would completely agree with that. That is a jarring and terrifying experience. So hopefully you don't encounter that too often. Um, another technology I wanted to throw out, debit cards for kids. Um, you know, you see companies like Greenlight, and I know you were an investor in, in Unest. I think what companies like that are doing is really interesting. Great way to involve families and kids in investing and understanding beginner concepts of money. So I think I'm more curious about, you know, adoption rates for concepts like this. You know, are you seeing people stack it or whack it? Yeah, absolutely. Stack it, stack it as high as you can. It's been so frustrating to see that financial literacy has largely been out of the classroom. And if it takes private enterprise startups like Greenlight and Unest, and, you know, as you mentioned, I've been an investor and an advisor since their early days. They're doing tremendous work and, you know, doing it for profit, but absolutely with the benefit to children and families that are going to have more educated uh, next generation that feel much more comfortable and confident in their finances going forward. And from an adoption perspective, I can't speak to Greenlight, but having been an advisor and seeing the tremendous work that the team is doing there, I believe they've now crossed over 500,000 families that they're serving with that product that provides opportunities for families to invest for their children's education and for their future and truly just doing a tremendous job. And then you start to get into some of the ways that Greenlight and Unest are incorporating gamification, you know, quizzes and tools and ways to really engage with people who are young adults or, or even much younger than that, might be five or six years old, that are starting to really gain an understanding of what, uh, what finance is all about. And it's so much better for them to be able to do it with these types of products than just, you know, inadvertently slipping the credit card out of mommy or daddy's wallet and finding out the hard way for all involved, right? So really encouraged and definitely stack it as high as we can. Well, I know my parents would have loved to have something like that, especially when I was in college, because my dad would get the, you know, weekly call of dad, I need more money on my debit card for what? Oh, you know, books and things like that. So I, I personally wish to, I had had, you know, a more formal and earlier introduction into something like this. So, um, Brian, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and learning more about wealth tender. So please feel free to tell listeners where they can find out more. Absolutely. And thank you again, Shannon. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, you can visit wealthtender.com, spell it however you like, and you'll find me there. And you can reach me by email, brian, B-R-I-A-N, at wealthtender.com. Fantastic. And if you are looking to stay ahead of the technology status quo, don't miss our Wealthstack event, part of Wealth Management Edge, May 21st or 24th in Hollywood, Florida. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And thank you all for listening in today. The wealth tech revolution is now. Wellstack provides bolder technology strategies and powers a new generation of growth-oriented advisors. Join us in Florida May 21st to the 24th and get 20% off now with our discount code WEALTH20. That's WEALTH20, W-E-A-L-T-H-2-0. And be sure to search Wellstack to find out more.